Hi, Sarah here. I'm one of the co-hosts of Female Founders Weekly, and this episode is sponsored by my company, Hostel Pass. Hostel Pass is a digital discount card for the best of European travel, especially the best hostels. I started this company after my own travels, where I was on a really tight budget, which meant I ended up in some pretty horrible accommodation situations. That's why I spent the next six years finding and partnering with the best hostels all across Europe, the kinds of places that travelers and their parents would feel good about. We've now got hundreds of hostels on our platform and we've managed to secure exclusive discounts and bonuses like free welcome drink, late checkout, or free breakfast at every single hostel. We don't just have hostels on Hostel Pass. You can also find discounts on museums, walking tours, river cruises, food tours, e-sims, and so much more. If you're looking to join the thousands of travelers using Hostel Pass to save big on their trip, use code FFW at checkout to take 20% off your first year of membership. Check us out at hostelpass.co. That's H-O-S-T-E-L-P-A-S-S dot C-O. And code FFW for 20% off at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, Alex here. On this week's episode of Female Founders Weekly, we interview Melissa Kwan of eWebinar. Melissa is super impressive. She's a three times bootstrap founder and her previous company was actually acquired in 2019. While starting her previous companies, eWebinar was the product she'd always dreamt about because she was drowning in customer webinars every day for five years. Now she's on a mission to give people their time back so that they can do something much more fun because that's what life's really about. eWebinar automates the webinar process by taking a video and delivering it like a webinar, meaning that you can do hundreds of the same webinars without ever needing to be in front of the camera. We talked to Melissa about her journey from starting previous companies to where she's at today, from getting her first 100 sales to how she manages her work-life balance. Melissa is super interesting. She has a refreshing take on starting a business and we absolutely loved this conversation. We hope you do too. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on the Female Founders Weekly podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. We've heard so much already about your entrepreneurial journey. You're a three-time founder, if I've got that right, and you've exited a company already. And I can't wait to hear all about your journey. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. So to start off, we ask all founders on this podcast to just give us a really quick elevator pitch of their current company. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so I'm currently working on eWebinar. Um, eWebinar is a webinar automation solution that helps companies do hundreds of engaging webinars without ever needing to be in front of a camera to actually do them. So we turn any video into an automated webinar that you can run on a recurring schedule. So think things like demos, onboarding, trainings, things that you have to do repetitively that you wish you could be doing more of. We help you do all of those so you can have all the time you want to do literally mm -hmm. anything else. Awesome. So the best way for us to kind of understand where you are today is just just get a kind of brief overview of how you got here. Um, there's obviously so much in that, um, but just a little bit kind of about yourself and your interests, but also maybe your previous businesses and kind of how you ended up here today in 2023 running eWebinar. Yeah. So um, third company, as you guys mentioned, Bootstrap Startup, um, been running startups for 13 years now. Uh, my first two companies spent about 10 years in, uh, was both in real estate tech. And because we were bootstrapped, um, 
I was everything except for code. So like all the marketing, sales, demos, onboarding, training, customer success, all that was me. So what eWebinar solves right now is a problem that I personally lived with for four to five years in my previous startup. So we were in enterprise SaaS software that we sold to real estate companies. And every company that we signed on wanted me to do a kickoff. And then when we had new features, they wanted me to do the new training. And because we had no one on our team that could do that, I was doing a lot of them sometimes like eight of them back to back, and I wouldn't have any mind share or time to do anything else. So I always kind of envisioned this perfect product that would do my job for me while I could just go and have fun or <laughs> sleep more or just do anything else that's more productive. Um, the problem was not just that they were exactly the same, but like it's it's also important work. It's just really mundane, right? Because you, you need to do that stuff to keep your customer. Otherwise, they're not going to renew. So I don't like to say that that it's not important. It, it it because it is so important is why I went to do it. And I was also at the time nomading, so I left New York to travel full time. So not only was I doing these webinars repetitively, I was also doing them on opposite time zones of the world. So after my previous company was sold in 2019, um, I decided to solve this particular problem once and for all. And back then, like I did look for solutions that would do like exactly what I'm talking about. And they did exist. They just weren't designed and built to the level that I wanted it to be. Um, and it just didn't have all the bells and whistles. It didn't have an asynchronous chat. So, you know, I, it, this was something that I looked, I think at least once a quarter for three years to see if there would be something on the market to solve this problem. And after I sold that company, I just couldn't believe that all this money was being dumped into live broadcasts, you know, Zoom and Instagram Live and Facebook Live, but nobody was solving the actual problem of live broadcasts, which is scaling the content that actually works for you. So I asked myself, um, you know, what, how would I feel if someone else did this before me? Like in the way that I, in the way that I had envisioned, because I had so many different ideas. I had a bit of PTSD, I guess, from like 10 years of startups and like not getting to where I wanted to. And I was so scared to start a new thing because as soon as you start it, it's like five years of your life. And it wasn't until I asked myself that question of, you know, would you regret it or not that, you know, I incorporated the company and then started on that journey. So that was March of 2019, just two months after selling the previous company. So it's been um, like four years now. Uh, we built the company for, or we built the product for about a year and a half before anybody saw it. So the product is only about two and a half years old. Um, but that's how I got here. I was just, I really, really wanted to solve this problem and I knew it intimately well. And I think a lot of people say, oh, you must have the startup bug or you might love to build businesses. I do <laughs> not like to do that. I would love to retire <laughs> if I can, if I could. Um, but, you know, while I sold my company for, you know, a life-changing outcome, it wasn't a retirement-level outcome. So I wanted to do something as soon as possible because I saw how fast consumer expectations were, were rising and how much harder it is to get people's credit card. Yeah. And I didn't want to wait another two years before I started something else. So there was some urgency there to just start something right away. Um, but I really didn't want someone else to do it the way that, you know, I had envisioned all these years. Uh -huh, interesting. So maybe not like a startup bug, but just whilst you're, whilst you've got the momentum, it's like, I'm rolling into the next one because I have the product idea already. It sounds like, you know, obviously all of your experiences in the previous years led you to be a frustrated customer in that space. And so you thought I'm going to go and do it 
much better than everyone else out there, which is, you know, a really common way of starting businesses. So I'm interested, is that is that what happened first time around? Is that what happened in um, real estate tech or the opposite? <laughs> no, I, I think it was the opposite. Like I, I wrote recently about this, like, I think, you know, when you're green, like when you're new in, in your startup journey, you always think, oh, I want to do something that no one else has done, right? I want to do this blue ocean thing. And back then I thought if you did something that no one's done before, it's a good thing, but it's actually a bad thing because no one's educated. You need to be the first mover. You need to educate them. Um, and that takes a long time. And, you know, now I know that if you want a really good business, the best way to vet your business is to see that there are other similar businesses out there that you can mimic, but also make 10 times better. So that did not happen for my first two companies. Uh, my first two companies, I wanted to invent something new because I thought it was like nifty and cool. And while it was nifty and cool, it just took forever to make the first sale mm -hmm. um, for the first company as well as for the second company. So that's a mistake that I'm not going to make again. And that's something that I also advocate for is, you know, if a founder is thinking about starting a business, like, and you're telling yourself or you're telling other people, no one has done this before. That's the biggest red flag you can wave around, right? You need to ask yourself, why is no one doing that? Like, yeah. what's the problem? Has someone attempted that before and it didn't <laughs> work? So, um, yeah, I'm glad that this time around, like I had so much experience using every single live webinar and automated webinar software out there and really understanding what are the things that I wanted that were missing from those solutions. Yeah, it's so true. I definitely think like, I mean, so I studied entrepreneurship at university actually. And um, it it was definitely a thing back then when people were saying, "If so, is someone doing this already? And that was supposed to be a bad thing if they were. But now knowing I'm about six years into my entrepreneurial journey and knowing what I know now, like looking for a healthy competition and ways you can improve upon that makes so much sense like and I've personally used eWebinar I'm using it right now and I can tell you that it is the best option out there and it's really brilliant <laughs> so you've done a great job I would love to learn about the process of actually building that tech um as you said you're not a tech founder so how did you I've got a pre uh, tech product as well like I know how difficult that can be can you tell me a little bit about that process yeah, I mean, that's why um, usually there's two founders and one is the CTO and one is the chief everything officer, right? Yeah. So in my first two companies, I had um, the same co-founder. Uh, he was my CTO. Um, he was a great engineer and we got along super well for, for you know, the 10 years that we were doing businesses together, but um, he was never a great CTO and he knew that. And that was actually a friction point that we had. And coming to this business, we decided, um, you know, to part ways and, and kind of do our own thing. And I came into this business actually thinking that I could build this company without a CTO because I was actually so sick of managing engineers. Because mm -hmm. when you don't understand their language, like you just, and they can't explain what they're doing to you, like while you're building the business, you're actually kind of doing it on their timeline. And that was one of the hardest things for me is ha not having visibility into the business in a way that I could you know, project timelines for my customers when I, you know, promised them something. So I was kind of sick of doing that. And I came into eWebinar thinking I didn't need a CTO. So I hired a dev shop um, to build the first version of our product with the intention that we would always bridge over to an outsourced team in Vietnam um, to like continuously build it. 
that did not work out um, mm-hmm. the way that we envisioned. Um, and my life partner, who's now my co-founder, David, he started helping out um, because things weren't really working and just volunteering. He was just like, he was always going to be like, he's a, he's a part-time CTO for other startups or he was. Mm. And, you know, he was criticizing how like nothing was working. All this team was making the wrong decisions. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know what they're doing. So if you're saying those things, maybe you should go in and help. (laughs) And sure, surely enough, as he started doing that, the product started working. And I'd been with this guy at that point for like five years and I didn't realize he could code to this level. <laughs> like, of course I knew he could code, but just not to this level. That's a so then I was like, well, why am I paying? Yeah. I'm like, why am I paying this company like hundreds of thousands of dollars when you can be my CTO and co-founder and, you know, we could just end that relationship. We can hire the team in Vietnam now and just, you know, make the deci- make the good, like right decision starting now. So he came in a year um, after I started the business. Um, so luckily I would, I would consider him like the top 1% of 1% coders out there. Uh, he spent 20 years at Microsoft, you know, he's 12 years older than me. So he's very experienced. I also have a COO in my business who is our product guy. Um, he's also a bit older, spent many years in like, not in tech, but he was a, he was the product guy for non-tech companies. I met him because he was my previous customer in a real estate company. And, like he was kind of helping me on the side as well. Um, and he had a full-time job in, in New York and he didn't really come in full-time until three years into the business. So like sometime like a little over a year ago. So between the three of us, um, I think we really kind of fill each other's gaps. Um, you know, and a lot of the product stuff is like, I come up with the idea of what I want this to do. And, you know, listen, like maybe listen to customer fee- customer feedback now and, and say, this is what we should have. And these are the features that we should, we should have in order for us to close more revenue or retain more customers. And then Todd or COO would kind of turn it into a spec. And then David and the team and the dev team will then kind of make it happen. So I actually, this time around, I never have to look at the product. It just kind of happens. I look at it from a business perspective and I never had that luxury in the past. So in the past, like I was much more hands-on. I was a product person. I spec'd a lot of stuff. I did all the testing, all the QA. And that's why I really hated that journey (laughs) and (laughs) wanted to have a dev shop that, that comes in and takes over all of that. So luckily this time around, I've been able to find two people that are like really experts in their field. So I can really focus on revenue and the things that I do best. That is so great. I mean, yeah, I had a very similar story to you getting my tech company started. I had a co-founder originally who was, we had the same skill set. We met in uni and that obviously leaves you where you said, like you're both doing the same thing. You need people that can do other things that you can't do. And then a couple of years into my business, I met my now CTO, Rob, who is not my life partner, but he's I agree, top 1% of the 1%. He's brilliant. Um, And I think there's a lot of luck involved in that. I mean, the fact, tell me a little bit more about working with your life partner. That I can imagine that would be difficult and also brilliant. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, the lucky thing is like I, I spent years beside this guy and turns out he's the most brilliant coder I've ever met. Like, I mean, that was definitely luck. <laughs> um, But, you know, it's 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 both hard and fulfilling, I guess, right? Like I cannot imagine building my business any other way, like right now. Because back then, 
you know, when something happened or a customer complained, I would just call my co-founder like off the hook and make sure that, you know, he's getting on it. He sees the ticket, he's fixing it right away, but we don't have the same schedule and he has a life. So even though he's on it and he cares about the business, he's not on it like I am or like I was. And now with David, um, we started working together during 2020 when nobody could leave their house. So our friends were like, how are you guys living together, working together, and also never leaving the house, which is like next level cohabitation. (laughs) Um, But the things are, the foundation of our relationship is very strong. We have a lot of fun, like fundamentally we're, we're best friends and that's why we're together. And so um, in the beginning, I think it was hard because we didn't have a way to communicate with each other in a way that didn't feel like personal. Hmm. Like, you know, when you talk to your work colleague, right? Someone you don't have a, have a romantic relationship with, or even like a very strong friendship with, like you, you kind of sugarcoat things, right? Like you don't criticize them. Right. But then when you're talking to your family or your your friends, you just say it. And, you know, it's, it's hard, I guess, in the beginning to not take that personally, to not be like, oh, you're criticizing the product. You're not criticizing how I built the product. Yes. And like a lot of that advice back and forth is unfiltered Mm -hmm. because when he gives me a business suggestion, it's very hard at least in the beginning, to not take that as like, why are you giving me business advice when you are not the CEO? <laughs> right. So um, I think that just takes getting used to. And I know that some people never figure that out. But I think um, if you stick with it long enough to be able to figure it out, and if you're two mature adults that really want this to happen, there is no better way to build a business than you know, what I'm doing right now. You know, we're on the same schedule because, you know, because of 2020, 2021, I am pretty sure that our product and our business accelerated two times faster mm. because that's all we were doing. Like we yeah. just, we were always building and we we're always working on the company. But now, you know, there, there's a lot of work-life balance because we take our weekends very seriously. Mm. You know, we have a lot of fun. We have lots of, you know, we have lots of friends. We travel a lot. We go out a lot, but you know, we're always talking about improvements in the business, in the product when a when a serious issue comes up, I know he's on it because he's just right beside me. Or, you know, when when I have a thought that comes up, I can ask him right away and, and vice versa. So it's a very integrated way of living your life and work. It might not work for everybody, but I love that I love that dynamic because it allows us to propel the business faster, which is what we need because we need the revenue as a bootstrap company mm-hmm. uh, as as much as I think as fast as possible right now. Yeah. So interesting. So talk to me about that. You're a bootstrapped company. How do you do that? Because you've done it successfully. Sounds like three times now. Yeah. The first two times are much harder (laughs) because I didn't have a bunch of cash. Um, So, I mean, I quit my last job that I worked for like 13 years ago with SAP. And before that, I always had like sales jobs that like commission jobs. So even as a 26, 27 year old, I had some money saved up, um, which I thought was a lot, but actually wasn't. Um, and I thought it would last me two years, but I think in the end it lasted me like nine months. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, and, and then because I was living in Canada at the time, I just found every way that I could to get more money, like small business loans from a credit union, 
a government would have certain grants for new companies, um, you know, buying things on credit card, taking small projects on the side, like building a website for someone, like contracting a website and then taking that money to hire more people. Just kind of like, um, ju- just kind of like found, found ways to make it work. Um, and I also also was living pretty frugally at the time. And then for my first business, I think it took about two years before we found the first customer. Um, for my second business, what I did was I took all the revenue from the first company and took a loan against that revenue and took all of that and started a new bank account and wow. put it into the new company. So I was like hugely leveraged. Um, and of course, also thinking that, you know, I know what I'm doing. I can start a new company. I can bring customers right away. That did not happen. So my my last company I ran for five years. For two and a half years, we didn't have any revenue. We were just looking for a product that someone would pay for and just iterating took that long. Hmm. And I had never been so poor. I had never been in like lower points in my life. I was like for at least a year and a half, I didn't have more than a hundred bucks on my account. Like at the hmm. end of the month, I would see how much money was left and then I would pay myself just enough to cover rent. Um, and I was also living in New York at the time. Oh um, but eventually we did, you know, find the first customer that paid us 10 bucks. And then within that year, once we found the product somebody would pay for, we became profitable in that year. And then a year later, I sold that company. So it was tough, um, but, you know, I pushed through it. And for this company, um, luckily, I sold my previous startup in, in 2019. David put in some money as well. I invested some of my personal capital just to get the company started. We have some friends and family capital as well. Um, just to kind of get the product going. But now we are mostly customer funded. Um, we're almost, you know, we're almost at break even. And we also have a credit line with Capchase um, that, you know, is based off of our MRR. And that line of credit goes up every quarter, depending on how well your business does. So um, it's just whatever. I mean, it's a very long way of saying like whatever. <laughs> you can do and <laughs> you need to do to keep the company floating. But also like, it's not just about like bringing in revenue and getting loans and putting your own money, right? It's also about optimizing your cost. Like we work with a hundred percent contractors. I don't pay myself like, because I've, you know, I, I haven't needed to in, in the past four years, but um, we outsource a hundred percent. Nobody's in house. Even if people are, like full-time quote-unquote working for us, they're still a contractor. So if you don't require employees, you can actually hire anyone anywhere in the world based on skills and passion and not where they're located. Like if this company could only hire from the West, like there's not a chance that we could do this without raising capital. Or there's not a chance that the product would be built to this extent. Like it it would just move much slower. Our development team is in Vietnam. We also started working with a company based in Ukraine to start hiring devs from from there. Um, and then a lot of our contractors, we don't require full-time. So a lot of content writers, um, you know, marketers, things like that, we don't need full-time. We only hire them for specific jobs. So we've been super careful in how we spend and optimizing our burn um, such that, you know, our revenue can catch up to that. Um, wow. I, you know, you hear a lot of tough tough times with money to begin with but um that is that is pretty incredible um that you spent so many years as well i mean 
you must have wanted to give up all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only two years in my 13 years of startups that I ha- I've had a, a real salary was when my company was acquired and I was working for a new company. <laughs> so I had a I had a two-year <laughs> contract with them. Um, yeah. yeah. And then anywhere before wow. that and after that, I had not had a real salary. So yeah. like I, I did eventually my previous company pay myself a bit, but it was like f- always 50% of yeah. like, market rate or, or yeah. less. It was just, just enough to cover my cost. Um, and then like, you know, there's just always a, another expense, yeah. right? Like even oh. now, like I always think, oh, we make another 5k or 10k, then I can start paying myself. But then once you get there, there's like another thing you mm. have to pay for. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. well, now we're bigger. I need to scale and move warehouse. Yeah, and, and then there's things. like Amazon costs more or like Vimeo costs more. You're like, okay, it's not me again. You know, yeah. maybe it'll be my turn <laughs> yeah. in three months. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like I I think quitting is the easy option, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's so, like, if it was so easy, everybody would be doing it. But the yeah. thing is most people quit. Um, of course, like, yeah, I think there were many times where I wanted to quit and it would have been easy to quit, but I was carrying so much debt also, like because I had taken a loan yeah. against the revenue for to start my new company. And then I had like, you know, I had some like small business loans that were also under my name. I had credit mm. card debts. Like, what would I do? Yeah. Like, that's kind of the conversation that goes on in my head. It's like, okay, well, I could give up now, but then yeah. my co-founder's been with me for, you know, six years, seven years. Like, what am I going to tell him? What am I going to tell the team? Like, what am I going to tell what am I, what am I going to tell my parents? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Oh, have been trying to get me to get a real job for all these <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah, you know, I don't want them through. to win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. I, don't want them to win. I know. I feel the same. It's like you know, it's all I've been talking about. I gave up building my career in my twenties, a traditional way to do this. So I don't want to be ten years behind. Like all the things you think of, and for me, I've just like I've got used to just living with that feeling of like slightly anxious about <laughs> um, whether or not we're surviving. But that's that kind of underlying, that underlying determination. It makes you get up and deal with all those support tickets, yeah. all those customers every single day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And- no, I mean, I think we, I mean, we, I, there was one moment in my previous startup where we, like we had some customers, but not enough to say we're onto something enough to say like, okay, maybe we're onto something. Um, you know, my, my co-founder wasn't having fun anymore. You know, we had iterated so many times, you know, as a developer, like you're the artist of this product. And when you're not seeing people use it, like you don't feel successful. And I, I get that. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, when you're struggling for so long and someone else has promised you you know, some sort of success for so long that, and you're not seeing it, like it's hard to keep going. Right. And I remember, you know, he had asked me once like, Hey, how would you feel if I started, you know, doing something else on the side? Like, I'm just not sure if I'm having fun anymore. And that's like literally the worst thing that you can hear from your CTO, (laughs) like so many years in and you're like, okay, well, I don't want to be the one holding him back. Like, this is his life. I'm not going to convince him to stay because I don't know where this is going. But if he leaves, this is over. I can't hire someone else. Like, no one's going to work for as little money as I'm paying him. (laughs) And so, you know, I asked him at the time, you know, how would you – like, what would you do if we gave up, like, today? 
And he's like, well, I would get a job, you know, at Amazon. And I was living in Vancouver at the time. And I was like, okay, so how much would you make? And he was like, I don't know, like 100000 or something. And I'm like, okay, so at the worst case scenario, you would still be better off than you are today. And he's like, yeah, I guess that's true. And I'm like, okay, well, but if we shut down, like, how would you feel? And he was like, well, I guess I would always wonder if, you know, we didn't do enough or if there was like another door. And I was like, okay, well, that's how I would feel. So why don't we make that kind of the the decision-making mechanism is like, let's just base this on regret because there's no reasonable way to make a decision. We don't know if this is going to work, right? You can't make decisions reasonably when you're not doing something that's reasonable, like starting a, a company <laughs> is already unreasonable. So, so true. we basically from that point on just kept going if we felt like, you know, we would regret it if we didn't. Yeah. No, and I think that was just a mechanism. Yeah. No, I think I think a lot of people feel like that and maybe just don't think about it in those terms. I think for me, what 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 and a lot of people I speak to as well, what, what keeps you going is the kind of but I just have to throw the kitchen sink at it. Otherwise, what's you know, what am I doing? How can I give up if I haven't given a hundred percent? Because then if even if it does fail, which is pretty heartbreaking and something that, you know, is hard for a lot of founders to talk about, at least you know you did everything you could. Um but the, so the company where you didn't make sales for two years because you were building building the product, I kind of want to ask about the first the first hundred sales because I think it's a really interesting one. And I find loads of people don't want to talk about it because usually it's like, <laughs> my mom was my first customer or whatever, you know, people don't want to say it, <laughs> yeah. but I think we should talk about it more. So you, you, you sort of went from zero to a hundred there, like you didn't have a customer for two years and then in two years you sold it. Um, so that took a really long time. Who, who were those first few people and how does that compare to your first few customers e-webinar? Yeah. So my last company, we only had a hundred customers when we sold. So it was an enterprise level SaaS. So mm. every deal was yeah. um, like, I would say like maybe 5,000 a year to 125,000 a year. So like in the end, we didn't have that many customers before it was acquired. We didn't need it. Like it was... Um, it was just under a million AR, mm -hmm. um, and it was still, you know, it wasn't like a thriving business, but it was still a pretty good, mm -hmm. you know, lifestyle business. It was most importantly, it was a viable business. Mm. Like many companies could afford it. And because we were bootstrapped, my co-founder and I owned 95% of the company. When we sold, we had a bit of fam family and friends funding in the beginning, but not a ton. Um, and I was, you know, I sold the company because I just wanted to do something new. Like I didn't want to be in real estate anymore. Um, but for eWebinar, uh, it's a much lower price point, right? We start at 99 a month. Um, our largest customer pays us like a little over a thousand, you know, so you need to piece together a lot more people mm -hmm. in order to have a more meaningful business. So, um, I actually talked about this. There was a podcast called the first 100 and it like all, all the guest talks about is how they got their first hundred customers is actually like a really, really good podcast. And I, I spoke about that on, um, on that podcast as well. But what I did was I just made a list two weeks before we were ready to launch a webinar. I made a list on Google sheets of every single person that I think could use this product. So whether it was like my startup friends or, you know, uh, companies I had heard of or that I know in real estate, cause that's where I'm from, um, different brokerages or customers that I've worked with, 
uh, people I've talked to in the past, I just went through all my emails, my phone, all my old files to find like any person in any company that I think could use this. And I think the list was something like 200 people. And I just went down the list and I just reached out to every single one of them. A lot of them were like my friends, but some were like one degree removed. Mm -hmm. And I just said, hey, I, like, I would love to talk to you to, to let you know what I'm doing. And so I would get a call on a call with them because people were also curious about what my next thing is. And um, yeah, and if they said they were curious about it, if they said that this they think this could be useful in their company, then I would ask if they wanted to get on a trial. Um, they knew it was going to be paid after 60 days. So it was not a beta, not an alpha. It was very important to me that people started paying from day one. So it wasn't like, hey, I built this thing. It's new and nifty. Like, come check it out for free. It was like, if you think this is valuable, we'll give you 60 days instead of 14 days. And if you yeah. want to keep it, then you're going to pay in 60 days. So I, I just went down the list. And I think for two months, I did, ironically, back-to-back -back live demos, <laughs> like <laughs> eight to 10 a day for two months. Um, and that's how, you know, we got the first big chunk of our customers. And then I would ask for referrals, yeah. um, you know, after, you know, after we onboarded someone, um, and I probably did cold outreach for the first year. Yeah. There's nothing like genuine feedback and a genuine referral than an actual paying customer, not just someone who's doing you a favor. Like you said, as soon as you kind of get that, get that um, hurdle, you start seeing the real stuff. Like you need that feedback to iterate the product, to grow. You need those true word of mouth kind of referrals. I think that's so key in the beginning. I mean, we had people that signed up because it was me and they knew they wanted to use the product, but they didn't sign up because they felt the pain enough. They signed up because I was selling it to them. Mm -hmm. And unless you feel the pain enough, you're not actually going to use the product. So we had a bunch of those people as well. And some of them even stayed for two years, like to the point where I'm like, <laughs> you need to cancel. <laughs> and they'll be like, well, if, I, if I'm if i paying, then I feel like I'm going to do it. I'm like, okay, well, then at that point, it's up to you. But I think cool. if you're serving like SMBs, yeah, I mean, an SMB SaaS is very much like a gym, right? Like you've got a portion of people that don't use your product and mm. you try to get them to use your product. And then there's people that use it a bit. And then there's people that use it a lot. So mm. we did have some of those, not a lot, but they eventually churn anyway. But it's it's your first... I think hundred unaffiliated customers yeah. that actually count. Yeah, yeah. So you sold your previous company. Um, how does that steer your feeling about what your sort of exit strategy, ultimate goal is with the webinar? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it would be amazing to never have to work again. Um, but it would be horrible if I sold if I sold this for not a generational wealth amount and then have to start another one again. <laughs> mm -hmm. So having so much experience now in starting businesses, like I just don't think I have another one in me. Mm -hmm. Like this is it. So this is my retirement plan. And I realize building 10 years of startups that you've, you're, you're sold this like myth, this unicorn story of like, if you don't try to hit a hundred million or, or a billion, then you're not ambitious or you're not successful. You need to at least try. But I learned in my previous company that success is what you define it to be. And most people that sell you that story have never done it for themselves. They don't even know what it means. And starting a company and running a company is so hard that, you know, it can't be the only thing you do in your life. I think when you're younger, you, it can, but you give up a lot 
mm. right? Friendships, relationships, <laughs> travel, like eating at a restaurant. Like you don't want to give up all those things like for that long. So what I learned, I think, is more of a, a life work balance of putting myself first while knowing that my company is just a part of me that allows me to get to the the path of freedom that I want. And so that's kind of how I see, you know, eWebinar is like either it gives me freedom through giving me a great salary where I can live my life without, you know, looking at price tags and trying to fly, you know, the cheapest flight or seeing the cheapest Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's going to sell for an amount that, you know, allows me never ha- have to work again. And I think either path is is fine. Um, but I do think the first one leads to the second. I don't think you can build a company strictly to sell it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just how, how do you do that? Right? Like you have to build value for your customers. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you focus on building value for your customers, then the rest in theory should come. Yeah. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it now is like, I just want to break even. I want to start paying myself. I want everyone involved to get a good salary. I don't want people to make market rate. I want them to make two to three times market rate. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not about like, I'm optimizing costs right now because I don't have the money. Right. But if yeah. I had three times the revenue and we don't need to grow the team, then everybody should get paid a lot more. Mm. And that's the company I want to build. I want to make yeah. sure that everyone's efforts pay off and that they get to also live a life of, of freedom and happiness. So you're a digital nomad as, um, I'm not sure, are you currently a digital nomad or is that something you were? Yeah, so we have, a, we, have a home base in, we have a home base in Amsterdam, but we travel like nine months of the year. That is so awesome. So like I'm really of, curious. We're like about a, we're like a cheating digital nomad. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that makes total sense. Have a home base, of course. And I lived in Amsterdam for a year and um, loved it. It's cool that you're out there. Or where are you from? Are you from Canada originally? Yeah, um, I mean, kind of everywhere. Born in the U.S., um, grew up in Hong Kong and Canada, um, and then moved to New York some years ago. So, kind of, kind of everywhere. But yeah. home is like I would consider Canada home. Like those are like formative years, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, so, what was the process of being a digital nomad while you're growing a business and currently traveling nine months of the year? Like, yeah, I've always hated working in an office. We've never had an office. Um, we were remote since like since way before it was cool, right? Like now everybody's remote. Um, and I think when you don't need an office and you're okay working remote it really opens up a world of opportunities for everybody, right? You can be anywhere you want. You can hire anywhere you want. You are used to asynchronous methods of communication. Like you don't, you talk to people on an as needed basis, right? Like I have lots of friends. I don't need to have friends at work. So that's just the way that I've always lived my life. That's the culture that we have. And that's the type of people we attract to work with us. Like a lot of people that work with us are, like in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, right? They have families and like more priorities than just like going to an office. They don't want to be in an office. So like, it's not important to me that um, I have a co-working space. I, I don't have problems like self-motivating. I love setting my own hours. Um, you know, I also don't set alarm clocks in the morning. Like Dave and I don't even get up till like 11 or 12 <laughs> like on a normal day. <laughs> and then we work until super late. Right. Like in an hour, I'll have dinner with friends for a couple hours. I'll come home and probably put in a couple more hours. So I think it's just, um, yeah, the like we are in in theory digital nomads, but we just like to travel. 
Like yeah. we just like to try and live in different places. And, you know, if there's a party or an event that we want to go to, like we always go. So that's why we nice. always get invited. We're always like the couple <laughs> that always shows up. Um, but I, I mean, I love, I can't imagine not doing this. And that mm. was like one of the things that like we talked about giving up, like the thing, one of the things that went on in my head is like, I can't lose this freedom. I cannot go and yeah. work for another company. <clears throat> like I have to, like, I have to call my own shots, have my own schedule. Like, and like for me, like I would, like, there's no amount of money you can pay me to lose the freedom that I have right now. I think that resonates with so many people when they think about wanting to become a founder, wanting to start their own business. That is a huge part of the attraction and percentage of why they would leap into this because it is not easy, as you said. So last question before we jump into some quick fire, which is how we'll end. But um, what is the best piece of advice you could give to someone thinking about starting their own business? Yeah. I mean, I have two pieces of advice. Uh, one is don't do something that doesn't exist. <laughs> As we talked about, like find a business that already exists um, that, you know, you know, you can make 10 times better. Um, that's number one. I mean, I think that will save you like at least two to three years of, of just research and, and pain. Um, second is like, do what you love, right? Do what gives you energy, not where your experience or education is. Like just because you've been a lawyer all these years does not mean you have to start a company related to law if that's not what you want. I think a lot of people fall into that trap of doing where like where they're of doing something where their education is or where their experience is and they end up not really liking it, which is kind of where I was with real estate. I thought I had to do something in real estate because my previous jobs were in real estate and my network was in real estate. But Ultimately, I built a business around – I didn't build a business around the things that make me happiest. So like my previous company, I it was sold – because it was large enterprise, it was sold through conferences and one-on-one sales and in-person sales, which goes against every like fiber of my being. <laughs> like I – like right now, like I don't do any live calls, no live events, no networking, like everything sold through the internet because I, I want that freedom. So figure out your non-negotiables and the things that make you happy and then find a career that fits into that rather than like the other way around. I can very much um, resonate with that. And you learn a lot as well when you do it, kind of what those non-negotiables are, because I think being an employee at a larger company, it can be quite difficult to kind of figure those out because you're constantly being boxed in. Um but that's really cool. It's really genuine. I know you've spoken about the kind of spoken about the kind of people management side of things, but we should just definitely just be one hundred percent honest with ourselves about what we like, what we don't like. Because, like yeah. you said, we are chief everything officer. Um, okay, so we're just going to do a little quick fire round. Um, they are short questions with um, that require short answers, literally a word or a sentence. It's just a little bit of an insight into you, but also, um, you know, maybe a little bit myth busting, kind of cut through some of that, um, what I call struggle porn that's out there on the internet about what being a founder is really like. Um, so um, we are going to start with, and you've just touched on this, what is your morning routine or perhaps your afternoon routine? Coffee. <laughs> Me too. Um, and you've you spoken about work-life balance. Your life partner is your CTO, but out of 10, how would you rate your work-life balance? Eight. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. Um, 
How much sleep do you get? Eight to ten hours. And nice. what time are you starting and ending your day? Um, I start my day around anywhere between noon to three in the afternoon. And I end it um, probably just around midnight. You mentioned coffee. How much caffeine are we consuming per day? <laughs> uh, usually two, two cups of espresso, but not more than three. That's the limit. Yeah. It's just delicious. <laughs> I just want to hold on to something. I just I want to hold on to something warm. <laughs> and like, you know, you have like your your frother. <laughs> and then yes. we discovered oat milk. So then it's just like nice and creamy and warm in the afternoon. And I guess later in the afternoon as well. <laughs> um, what is one myth about being a founder that you see? Wow, this one, there's just so many good ones. Um I would have to say that if you don't raise venture capital, then you are not successful. What do you do to mitigate stress? Uh, both Dave and I party really hard on the weekend, almost every weekend. <laughs> We've That's never had we that answer Amsterdam. before. I love that answer. Why do people not say that more? <laughs> it's just just the truth that's why yeah, like, we, we were like why did you move to Amsterdam we're like the parties are amazing <laughs> it's people true. always say meditate but I just love that <laughs> <laughs> meditation stresses me out I'm like when is this over <laughs> I spend the whole two minutes thinking about my to-do list <laughs> just like yeah. rising levels of anxiousness <laughs> yeah it's like I don't want to be that quiet <laughs> <laughs> awesome um Okay, so we've, you know, we've spoken a little bit about um, all of the nitty gritty and how kind of truly tough it is, um, but it's high risk, high reward. But we always like to end on a kind of more uplifting question, which is, what is your favorite part of running eWebinar? My favorite part about running eWebinar is the fact that we're giving people their freedom because that's my number one priority. Like we're not selling a webinar software, right? We're selling time. We're giving mm. you back your freedom to do anything you want. And that is very fulfilling. Um, it's a feeling that I've never had before. Like before I was making software for real, real estate agents. <laughs> like that was, and then getting yelled at. So that was not fulfilling at all. But now like, you know, we have people that say, oh, I'm taking my first vacation because of you guys. Or like, mm. you know, I'm like for yeah. the first time I'm able to do, you know, all these 10 other things I didn't have time to do before. Like that feeling's awesome. So even though like I would love to not work and, and you know, building a startup is hard, like it's hearing those things yeah. that, you know, keeps, it gives you a bit of fuel just to keep going a bit more. Yeah. And I know freedom and being yourself is something that, you know, you're truly passionate about. So it's amazing to have that kind of through your business as well. Um, Melissa, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, thank you for sharing your genuine experience, giving really honest answers. Um, and it's so brilliant to hear about everything you've done and what you're up to. And I can testify to Sarah, um, Sarah's praise of eWebinar because she's been calling me and telling me as well. So uh, awesome. congratulations <laughs> on you know, an it. awesome product. <laughs> thank Don't. you so much. <laughs> cool. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Female Founders Weekly. Female Founders Weekly was created by myself, Sarah Weingust, the founder of Hostel Pass, and Alex Clothero, founder of Freedom Underwear. You can find us on Instagram at Female Founders Weekly, on TikTok at Female Founders Weekly, and with any questions, you can email us at femalefoundersweekly at gmail.com. Thanks for joining. Bye.